Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and Mon. Now, of course, we don't know which day it is. We're not going to announce the day or the date right now because this is the delayed broadcast. And if you would like to hear the live show and participate, we had some great participation in today's live show. Uh, then give us a call, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669 and we can step you through the whole process of how you can listen to the live show on faithfm.com.au or via the TuneIn app if you are struggling with either of those, uh, getting either of those uh, systems to work. In fact, I think we might be putting up a tutorial soon just so that you can see how to uh, get the free version of the TuneIn app. Some people have been struggling to get the free version and we want to make sure that everybody can watch how it uh, takes place in a very simple and easy manner. Okay, so make sure that you do that. Um, join the live show. Of course, give us a call on either of those numbers and uh, just give us a little bit of lobbying to get the live show on in your area. We are seeking to expand our live show broadcast and a little bit of encouragement certainly goes a long way if you'd like to have it in your area. But coming up on today's show, we have some most interesting stories. Of course, Mon is going to bring us her weekly fluff. She's going to be talking about a kangaroo that got mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I'm going to be talking about the um, very tragic events of the airliner that went down in Indonesia and how that uh, really affected a close friend of mine who was there at the time. It's a very, very thought-provoking piece. Um, yeah, something we need to, uh, to, to take into consideration. Of course, we have a, um, a, an interview coming up with a man by the name of Philip Smith, one of the pioneers of, uh, low power networks, radio networks here in Australia, Christian low power networks here in Australia. And so he's going to be talking to us about some of the early days there. He's also going to be talking about uh, his experiences in shortwave radio, where he was broadcasting literally halfway around the world with the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's an exciting piece that is coming up. Also coming up in today's show, we are going to talk about uh, Encounter with God. We're going to talk about the two days of Pentecost, the first day of Pentecost and the second day of Pentecost. When you think about the day of Pentecost, when the disciples all spoke with other languages to the uh, believers there in Jerusalem, do you know that is actually the second one? And that was preceded nearly a couple of millennia beforehand by another. We're going to look at the parallels between those two days of Pentecost. So that's all coming up and much more. Is it a sin to swear is our question of the day. That and so much more in today's show. Stay tuned. This is my 
Jaden Levick with uh, My Father's World here on Faith FM and kicking off today, Tuesday the 30th of October, what do we have for the quiz? We have a brand new quiz and this is another hard one, I'm not going to lie. Yesterday was pretty hard, the answer was Zachariah and then today is probably a little bit harder even. So yeah, Tuesday, sorry John, guys. Tuesday guys, this is going to be a hard one, but the first two clues are already on Instagram, so check them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a Who Am I quiz. So, the first clue, I was put to death because I asked to have Abishag as my wife. Okay, who was that? If you know the answer, one 843 is the number or text us on 0491-064-669. Who was executed simply for asking for the hand of this particular young lady? And she was a single lady. Mm-hmm. Abishag was single. She was available, mm-hmm. Abishag. Um, but it cost him his life and just, you- just to ask to marry her. And if you win, we have a wonderful prize. We have a book called Help in Daily Living, God Has a Home for You. Uh, so if you want a copy of that one, uh, give us a call now, 1-800-FAITH-FM, and tell us the correct answer. And, of course, if you want to check up on the clues, the extra clues, go over the clues again, head to Faith FM Live, or lowercase one word, uh, on Instagram, where you will see on our Insta story that we've put them up. Wow. Yes. Fantastic news coming out of the medical realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know what MS is, right? Multiple yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, So, uh, there's a gentleman who's had um, stem cell transplant uh, and he had MS and he's now able to walk and dance for the first time in 10 years. Really? Can That's you imagine? sensational. I, I have a very close friend who has MS, but, you know, not to that level yeah. of, um, mm-hmm. of, of disability. And uh, that would be sensational. Yeah, yeah. So I've never been able to walk for the last 10 years. For 10 years, yeah. So he spent 10 years in a, in a wheelchair. Um, his name's Roy Palmer. And he said that uh, last year in 2017, he heard about this experimental stem cell research therapy. It's called HSCT, uh, which stands for, let me see if I can pronounce this, hemiotopiotic stem cell transplantation. Yes, that. Yeah, that. And he heard it, actually heard about it on TV. He was watching uh, BBC and uh, my favourite channel, and uh, and he heard about it on there. And um, and though the treatment has had like sort of miraculous kind of level results among other disabled patients, apparently it's still quite a risky procedure and it doesn't always work um, for all patients. Uh, but he's forty nine and he's from Gloucester in England. Well, if you if you if you're pretty much bedridden and, and can't yeah. walk, then hey, I don't would really try have a anything. To, to, you give anything a crack, eh? Yeah, yeah. Why not? So he's forty nine years old. So he went to the doctor, uh, he visited his doctor and he begged to have this treatment done. And um, and so they, he actually ended up undergoing the procedure. And he said he knew that it started to work when he suddenly felt a cramp in his leg. 
and it was the first time that he'd felt anything in his disabled limbs for 10 years and the sensation caused him to burst into happy tears. <laughs> Isn't that Now, crazy? I've had a cramp in yeah, my leg before same. and I just about burst into tears and they were not happy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, ah! That's the worst. <laughs> I usually get them in my toes, but... You know. Yeah, yeah, Charlie Horse. Uh-huh. But he... Um, so, now he's regained control of his legs once more and he says he loves to dance with his wife. Oh, so sweet. And uh, inspire others who may have lost hope in their physical abilities. He says... Maybe I need a stem cell transplant. And then I'll be able to <laughs> dance with my wife. <laughs> There's no cure for two to left be, feet, Lyle. I would love to be able to dance with my wife. <laughs> I think Maybe you, stem cells will cure two left feet. <laughs> you have more of like a stomp with your wife thing going on. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, Rob Palmer, he says, I've been given a second chance at life and I started volunteering at my local police station. Uh, we went on holiday not long ago to Turkey and I walked on the beach. Little things like that. People do not realize what it means to that me. That would be so special. I know. Can you That's imagine? That's incredibly special. Because you lost all feeling in your legs. Like you can't even feel like grass or sand or water yeah, between yeah, your yeah, toes. Yeah. So like, yeah, going on holiday. I think the stem cell research is something that, you know, yeah. we, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's sensational. We need to just push this thing hard. I mean, I know there's some, there's some dangerous aspects to it and there's some ethical aspects, but, um, you know, where we can do it in an ethical way, it definitely needs to, to go hard. Absolutely, because I remember when it first started coming out on the news and people were all up in arms about it and just, I don't know, what <coughs> what, what really is the controversy? Is it a cloning or something? Is it yeah, well, it, see, the, it opens the door to all those kinds of procedures. That's that that was that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that does raise ethical questions. But, you know, the simple reality is that even if somebody, even if they do create a cloned human being, then that's just another human being who can... Have a relationship with Jesus and spend eternity with God. That's true. That's you know, true. They, they might have, they might be a bit messed up and broken about their origin, uh, but there's lots of people like that in our world, and I don't think we should be going down that path. But uh, I think we should definitely be looking into this whole stem cell thing. Lyle, I have some cute news coming out of Australia, and I, I want this is, is this is this your weekly fluff? Yeah, it is, and I'm happy because it's an Aussie one. Usually, we have a lot of like uh, around the world kind of stuff, but I'm really happy this one is coming out of Australia. So, this is uh, two Australian police officers. Uh, they've been hailed as heroes because they saved a drowning kangaroo. I was going to say, is this about a macropod? <laughs> so, um, this, this little kangaroo dove into some um, dicey ocean waves, and in uh, the ocean, what was he doing in the ocean? Kangaroos always. Have you never seen videos of kangaroos swimming? Yes, but in rivers and stuff where they no, need to they cross the, beach. the river. Look at the beach, man. They're they they the surf on. Do surf. <laughs> Got to work on their tan. <laughs> so, this is Sergeants Christopher Russo and Kirby Tonkin. Uh, they were called to the Mornington Peninsula uh, in Victoria um, because a beachgoer spotted uh, the poor little roo struggling in the surf. And so, they dove in and they were able to pull the kangaroo out of the waves. And uh, and then the cops, uh, they went one <laughs> one step further and uh, and actually gave it CPR. Yeah. No way. Yeah, so he, he was, his head was under the water for a bit too long and uh, he had like a foam coming out of his mouth and it was basically a clear sign that it was driving, um, drowning. So one of them grabbed the, ta- the animal's tail while the other one cradled its head and they um, yeah carried it to the shore and then did CPR until they started breathing again and regained a heartbeat. And um, yeah, and they have a video of it. It's really cool. I'm going to post it up on our socials so you can have a look at it. And then he and, hops away. And then he hops away. 
Isn't it just so cute? <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely going me. Okay, that's my fluff. Mile. That's <laughs> my fluff done and dusted for the week. But let me tell you I some think other great news. Having too much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It'd be so heartwarming, though. I mean, coppers have to deal with so yeah. much just absolute, absolute. garbage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can. You, this is a happy story that yeah. they take home at the end of the day. Like, yeah, I guess what I did today: mouth to mouth resuscitation <laughs> on a kangaroo, and it worked. I wonder if they you know use the, like you a, know what a the correct way to pick up a kangaroo is. How? You've never picked up a kangaroo? Is it by the tail? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they're really strong tails and doesn't hurt them at all. Aww. And you'll get kicked to death if you try and pick them up any other way. <laughs> you pick them up by the tail and they just, they just sit there and look at you like, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who uh, was on a, he had a, he grew up on a farm and he used to get on his, um, on his motorbike, on his dirt bike and go out and, uh, and go alongside hopping kangaroos because, you know, he'd get up to speed. Yep. And then he'd, like, with the little ones, he'd reach over while he was still riding his bike and grab them by the tail and lift them up. <laughs> <laughs> no. Poor kangaroos. Yeah, that was Jordan and WA. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Been named and shamed here on Faith FM. <laughs> I don't think he heard them. He just, you know, had a hop with them. <laughs> anyway, Lyle, plastics, back to plastics. Except, I love talking about for the heart attack that they had. Yeah, yeah, apart from that part. They probably just went back with an adventure story. I went for riding a motorbike today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no hands, mum. Okay, so the European Parliament has finally approved a sweeping ban on single-use plastics. Did you know? Yeah, no, this is a cool story. I, yeah. I saw some information about this the other day. I saw that they were talking about it. So, yeah, it's been, a, it'd been proposed. It's been a landslide vote, I tell you what. Um, there was 571 votes to ban it um, against 53 votes to not ban it. So, yeah. Wow, that's <laughs> it a, huge. It was a bit of a, a massacre. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're going to prohibit the use of many of the most commonly found forms of plastic pollution. So, cotton swabs, plastic plates, cutlery forks, um, you know, knife spoons, straws and drink stirrers. And I'm so happy to hear this because, like, I've been traveling and – and Australia's, I don't find Australia as bad with the use of single-use plastic, but I've been to many people's houses in other countries where, like, if they have a lot of people over, they can't be bothered doing the dishes, they, they crack out, like, with a constant supply of uh, single-use plastics that they have just for these kind of events. I've been to homes where they never use dishes. Yeah, that too, that too. And uh, and then when everyone's gone, they just chuck it in the bin, and I'm like, do you know what? Just do your dishes. Like, is it really that hard? Like, you know, this plastic plate, gonna, it's going to take decades for this thing to even get anywhere near um uh, breaking down. So, uh, so part of this legislation demands that 90% of plastic bottles will be re- uh, collected for recycling. And this is all supposed to be put in place by 2025, uh, which is actually a steep increase because it's currently only 20% that gets collected for recycling. Um, and cigarette companies will have to reduce their plastic usage by 80% over the course of the next 12 years. Although I'm a little bit concerned as to what cigarette companies are doing with plastics. I know that when you get the box, it has plastic around the outside, but I don't know. Is it in the cigarette? I, I have no idea. I have no idea what's in those little death cancer Get, stick. Yeah, things another that, reason to quit. Yeah, because absolutely. I mean, there's they're like not so many chemicals packed into those. They're things. not saying clearly here what it is they're doing with it. But if a cigarette company has been told not to use plastic, then it's, it should be a raising questions as to where they're sticking that plastic. Yeah, you're not wrong. This is Caitlin Clampett with Love Lifted Me. Sure. 
saves He will lift you from the crashing waves Crashing waves He will never leave you Jesus saves, Jesus saves That was Caitlin Clampett with Love Lifted Me here on Faith FM. And Mon, you're giving away clues there left, right and centre on Instagram, I see. I'm making it rain with clues, ladies and gentlemen. Jump on our Instagram, check out our story, uh, which is only valid for 24 hours. And you can view it by clicking on our uh, profile picture. Um, but let me give you another clue on air. Who am I for this quiz? Second clue is my mother's name is Haggith. There you go. Not Haggis. Now, not if Haggard. You, if you, if, Haggis. If you had given that as the first clue, I would not have gotten it. Yeah, yeah. That's the tougher one. The second, For me, anyway. The third and fourth clue are really quite interesting. But let me... This is an obscure person. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not a common person by far. Yeah. Okay, so Mon, let me tell you this. Let me paint a little bit of a picture for you. Have you ever um, been, you know, gone to the airport and your flight's delayed? You sit there in the waiting lounge... Um, and the gate beside you is, uh, you know, people are going onto the plane. You just sort of sit there and watch them go past, do a little bit of, of um, people watching in the process. Yes, I've done this. In fact, the last time I took a flight, oh, no, not the last time, but the last time I took a domestic flight was with you and this happened to us. Yeah. And yeah. the people and gazing- sort of people all lined up there and, yeah. you know, some of them looking bored, some of them are talking about stuff, some of them are on their phones, they've all got their, their, their some boarding of them are, pass out. Some of them are sitting right next to me and falling asleep in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of that. <laughs> yes. Um, a friend of mine had that experience yesterday in the airport in Jakarta. And okay. he watched a, um, a row of people line up and, and uh, check in and go through the, um, you know, um, walk out onto, the, onto their plane. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, within a few minutes of that plane taking off, every single one of them was dead. Oh, no. Oh, is this mm. the flight that went missing? Yeah. Oh, he's so a very serious. good friend of mine. Um uh, or friends of mine, I should say. There's one of my uh, very old friends from many, many years ago, um, Eugene Hardy Pruitt. They were sitting there in the airport, and uh, yeah, they boarded their flight. Their flight ninety minutes later, with absolutely no idea that anything had taken place. That's scary. It would. It would really. It would really make you stop and think, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I. I. I just sort of you know reading his his little write up that he had on Facebook, and you know, flying is the safest form of travel that there is. And we all know that, 
Um, and, and, you know, whenever we get on a flight, I think we always, you know, we, we, we take it for granted that this is going to be, you know, another, you get in the aluminium tube at one end, get out of the aluminium, aluminium tube at the other. It's pretty mm-hmm, much just mm-hmm. sort of how it goes. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> at the other end, you're in a different place from where your aluminium tube started from. And, and, and we do it all the time. And we don't sort of stop into take into consideration just how quickly, you know, things can change, life can change, and life can come to an end. Just you know, we we don't we we honestly don't know whether we're still going to be sitting here in the next ten minutes. It's, it's true. Just, it's just um, we we just don't take it. Into, but I think if you had that kind of experience, you know, and certainly for my friend Eugene, it um, it certainly you know made him stop and think. You know, um. Life is a very fragile thing. We we never we, we need to be ready all the time for for um, for whatever might happen. And Do they know why the plane went down at all? Uh, there's very very little um, detail coming out on the news media so far, and this is typical with aircraft crashes. Um, it seems that the aircraft was trying to turn back towards the airport when it went into the ocean. And um, and crashed, but until they get the um, the black boxes out and do some research, you know, typically it'll be a couple of years before they actually release a report. By which time everybody's forgotten about the incident, mm-hmm. and the report really becomes um, something of no consequence, except for airline companies, airline ma- ma- aircraft manufacturers, and pilots and, and aircrew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, they will all receive the report. And go through it in great detail and, 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 and crawl all over it. And every accident that takes place in the airline industry makes the airline industry safer uh, because, you know, changes are made as a result of, you know, pretty much every incident that happens. But very, very sad story. Um, I think yeah. it's also sad that the families would have to wait that long to find out what happened. I mean, I'd I'd want answers. If well, the families would have been at the other end, of course, mm. and so you know nothing was announced at the point of departure. Um, we don't know what happened at the point of arrival where families would have been waiting. Um, there probably were no families at the actual point of departure by the time the aircraft crashed, and so the families at that end would have had to have been. Traced down and contacted individually, which is the really the best the best way for it to happen. You don't want them to hear, you know, for it through a mass um, announcement on the media or via a text mm-hmm. message or something or other. You you need somebody to go around there and give that family support, and that's going to take time to organise. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I lost somebody in in that kind of circumstance, I would appreciate um, the fact that okay, I didn't find out for a couple of hours after it happened, but. They took the time to actually, you know, because nothing can, you know, can't do anything to change it. Yeah. But they took the time to actually, um, um, you know, do it in a, <coughs> do it in a, in a way that showed respect and concern for, you know, the tragedy that had taken place. It's now they they know. Thing. Do they know exactly where the plane went down, or is it another one of those missing flights? No, it went down in shallow water. Okay. Um, they're about thirty meters down, so you know, divers are. Um, exploring the wreckage right now you can human beings can swim down there with mm-hmm, diving equipment mm-hmm, so okay. it's um yeah but it you know the the, the um, they're just coming into daylight now so it'll be the first time they're actually able to um search the surface of the water but it seems unlikely that there would be survivors from an accident like that that's so tragic mm. it's and it sort of it sort of brings it home it's like yeah you know i, I you and I, we've all sat there and watched people line up and mm-hmm. just doing their normal thing, getting on the plane. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a few minutes later, 
Um, it's a very short flight. Yep, I think it was like eleven minutes after takeoff or something or other. So um, it's still or eleven a, kilometers from the airport. One of the eleven eleven featured there somewhere in the yeah, story. Yeah, it's just a reminder that we we definitely want Jesus to come quickly. We want Jesus to yep. come quickly, and we need to be ready for Jesus to come at all times, and we need to be ready to face our end. At all times, because we have no idea what our future holds. How would one get ready to face their end? Simply by giving your life to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And and this is not something that you do once. It's something you do daily. You know, a, an experience with Jesus as a one-off is is a, is a lost experience. Um, do this every day. Um, you know, and, and in circumstances like this, you know, when it comes to transport and those kind of things, I never leave my home without a prayer. And I never um, take off in an, in an airplane without a prayer, um, and 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 just you know committing my life to Christ, and praying for you know safety for myself and for my family, and for the other people that I'm traveling with. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, it's been a habit that I've been in for many many years, and something that I see as being a very positive habit. And yeah, maybe this is something that you as a listener today can incorporate. You know, as you as you're backing out your driveway before you. Um, Back out onto the road, just to stop for a moment of prayer and, and connection with God. And it's a, it's a good opportunity right then and there to not just pray for safety, but connect with God, mm. you know, so that you remain connected with God throughout the day. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a blessing and it's a privilege. And, you know, I think that there are many things in our lives that are routine. And if we can work our connection with God into that routine, then we make our Christian experience and our walk with God something that happens regularly, you know, rather than just on special occasions when you go to church on Saturday or Sunday or whenever it might be, um, rather than you know just that you know once a week Christian being a a uh, a seven day a week Christian, mm-hmm. um, and take God with you where you're going. You be a witness to the people that you're traveling with and that you are associating with during the day, all of those kind of things. It, it, um, it puts you in the right frame of mind to be able to do all of that. Um, yeah, but yeah, a very, uh, as we, we hear about these airline crashes and I guess it's the first time that a friend of mine has actually been very close to, you know, one of those experiences, an airline that he regularly, you know, flies with, um, as far as I understand. And, um, <coughs> Um, a, a new aircraft. Um, it just it just raises lots of questions, but you know we'll have to wait and see what happens as a result of that. But anyway, very quickly, another short story just to finish off with. Um, rabbis in Pittsburgh have held an interfaith um, memorial service that's been attended by Christians and Muslims, all of them together, um, which is a good thing. And of course. Um, we find that you know the Christian community has been giving a lot of support to the Jewish community, and that's not so uncommon because Christians these days tend to be very supportive of the Jewish community. But when the um, the massacre happened um, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, uh, the Muslim community banded together and and called on all of their members to go and donate blood. Oh, praise the Lord! Yeah, this is the kind of thing we need to see now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, this is the kind of ecumenicalism that is uh, is, is is very mm-hmm. positive, and what we need what we need to encourage as much as possible, so that we actually support each other rather than becoming enemies. He is able. 
keep us from stumbling is able when distances come between everything that we hold dear he is able to draw us into deeper life he is able to cut away like a knife everything that keeps us from him everything that keeps us from him Back everybody, you're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia. Now joining us today on Faith FM for our interview of the day is Philip Smith from Western Australia. And Philip is one of the, I guess, early pioneers in many ways of Faith FM and uh, low-powered Christian um, radio here in Australia. And so Philip, welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much, Laura. Good to be here. Now, I'm just wondering whether you can take us back and, and, and share with us some of that history. You've done a, a whole bunch of different things with uh, with radio, with communicating the gospel, uh, missionary work. We want to hear about your life. Um, but uh, take us back to those early days of radio. Where did you actually get started in radio? Well, I started in radio back when I was uh, quite young, um, probably in the late 80s, I suspect, was when uh, I had a mate of mine from church who was involved in community radio in our area in Brisbane, southeast Queensland. And uh, I said to him, um, after hearing about what he was doing, that I'd be quite interested in getting involved in that. And so we partnered together. His name was Darren Leeson. He's uh, originally from... Lismore, I think, and he was a mate of mine from uni. And so we started sharing time on this show called Captain Midnight. He was the DJ, I was the, the offsider kind of situation. And um, we did that once a week for a couple of years, I think. And um, from there, my radio interest just grew. Uh, I did it as part of my subjects at uni, uh, as a trainee journalist, and it just has been a part of my life now for the last many decades. So that that's how it got started, basically, yeah. Well, this might be giving secrets away, but uh, how old were you when you um, actually first started in with uh, Community Radio, doing a Christian program on Community Radio? Uh, I'm... I'm struggling a little bit now to pin it down to the years. I was in around about probably my very late teens. I might have been 19 at the latest, uh, the earliest, I think. I might have been 19. That would be back in the mid, late, late 80s, so... So you're somebody who, um, you know, you've given to your life to God at a, at a young age, and that's just fantastic to hear. And I'm just wondering whether you could share with us just very quickly um, um, how it was that you actually came to God. Did you come from a Christian family? It's, it's complicated. Uh, yes and no. I did attend church, an Adventist church, actually, as a young person, as, a, as a, an infant, you could say. Um, but I wasn't really in a home that you could say was was equally yoked, <laughs> if you like. And my father was keen for us to go to church, my sister and I, as infants, uh, four or five years of age, going to Kitty's Sabbath school. But my mother was not uh, at all supportive of this. So there was a division in our household. Hmm. And um, so I, I suppose the earliest years were quite rocky. And um, it wasn't until my um, mid-teens at high school, a secular high school in um, Palm Beach in the Gold Coast, actually, is where I grew up, that uh, we we had some Bible studies, and I actually then embraced and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal saviour. And that was a very conscious decision and a very real decision for me at that young age. Yeah, and I've been that way now ever since. Amen. <laughs> so, Amen. Here we are. Yeah, praise God. Now, um, moving on from those early days with community radio, where did your radio's advent- radio adventures take you after that? Well, I went to uni, as I mentioned, and I did make radio one of my focuses as a part of a journalism double major at the University of Queensland. After I graduated from uni, uh, I went uh, in... I actually had two directions that I was uh, pursuing. One was to become the editor of the Science magazine. And in the end, uh, I didn't get that uh, appointment. I was shortlisted, but I didn't get that here in Queens, in, in Australia. And uh, Adventist World Radio was 
where the Lord ended up taking me. And I went to Guam. I was there for one year as an intern, a volunteer missionary, as they used to call them back then. I may still use that terminology. I don't know. But I worked there um, in the shortwave radio facility, working to coordinate the language programs that were being sent in on cassette. Get this. They were sent to us. They were sent to us from various production centers in different countries making programs in those um, major languages uh, of those countries, maybe Indonesia, they would make Indonesian, of course, and they'd put these programs onto cassette and post them to Guam. My job was to load up the new programs and and prepare them according to the schedule that was mapped out. And that's what I did for a year. I also worked in the local Guam Christian Adventist radio station called Joy 92 as an announcer doing some news announcing um, whenever it happened to be suitable. Maybe it was in the morning. Uh, Later on, I did some afternoon, evening uh, drive time shows as well. And that's where I got my on-air skills and consolidation. And I I love that Guam was one of the best times of my life as a a young person in my early 20s. And um, I, I haven't been back to Guam ever since then. But um, beyond Guam, there was more. Um, Before we I go beyond Guam, can I, can, I briefly, talk about, yeah. talk, can I talk about um, AWR? Now, yes. that's, um, as you mentioned earlier, shortwave radio, which is quite different from the low-power transmitters that we use, you know, network that we have here with uh, Faith FM. So tell us yeah, about, shortwave, right. tell <laughs> us about shortwave radio and how that works and, and who you are reaching. What's the, how does that all take place? Well, shortwave radio is also classified as international broadcasting because it's designed to reach from one country into another. It's about the only mechanism we have um, in radio to do that. Of course, these days we can also use satellite. But shortwave is one of the older technologies, and it is still very potent, though, because of this ability to send a signal out and have it skip up and down across uh, the the vast areas of our Earth because of uh, the reflective power of the ionosphere. So shortwave radio bounces off the ionosphere and skips uh, across into other countries where the receivers are listening in their languages. So we would uh, have langu- uh, programs produced in, say, Chinese, uh, Mandarin, or maybe Hakka or Fujian, various languages that are spoken in the Chinese mainland. And those programs would be sent to Guam, and they would then be put out, uh, loaded up and, and rebroadcast from cassette, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And the shortwave signal would simply skip across the ocean into um, a fairly clear signal in, uh, in the Chinese mainland. And we had, through that mechanism, thousands and thousands of listeners who uh, would otherwise not have a, a reliable routine source of of, uh, of nourishment from a Christian perspective and and also for those who are surfing because people can surf the radio just as well as they surf the web in a way and there would be plenty of people surfing the, ra- the radio waves to find something of interest they would stumble across our, our programs or somebody else's. There's also many other international broadcasters doing this. Uh, and they would tune in and suddenly think, what is this we're listening to? What is this new, new information? This, this message, this, this teaching. I've never heard it before. And, and people would then come to Christ or at least get that first, uh, 
step in the door, if you like, uh, of the Christian message and then seek other ways of, uh, of witnessing and, 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 and getting together with people who, who shared likewise. Mm. Uh, there's this same love of the, this truth. And that's how it works. International broadcasting simply uses the, uh, the mechanics of our world, if you like, to skip radio over vast distances. And we were broadcast into Asia from Guam, also into Africa. Um, they were the main target areas, uh, China, Japan, Korea, India, so many languages spoken in the Indian subcontinent and also into uh, Eastern Africa primarily. Beyond that, it was getting a bit too far. Uh, the signal would start to peter out. So it'd go about you know, a quarter to a third of the way around the world before the signal would just get a bit too weak to hear. Yeah, well, that's pretty impressive compared to our, uh, our, our, our low-power low network that we're operating on here in Australia. Where uh, you're, Yeah, uh, it, it, it is different. And, and yeah. the word network is very important there, Lyle, mm. because um, to have one low-powered station is almost meaningless. I've never believed it was meaningless. I've seen the power of radio, and it's a, a cumulative power. People come back, and then over time you have uh, new people joining a, a, a cluster of listeners, other people leave, and then they come back again, and then over time you're cumulatively reaching a large number of people. So even a low-powered station can have an impact well beyond what you would expect. However, they only cover a small area of about maybe five kilometres radius from the transmitter sort, source, and, and you need to have a network in an area or in other areas uh, to expand that that um, that reach, and that's that's how it works. Yeah. So our our, um, our low power network is made up of 150 odd different transmitters, and you were there at the very beginning of one of the one of the pioneers, I guess, of um, of low power networks here in Australia. How did that actually happen? It was. Uh after I was uh, back from working overseas with international broadcasting, um, I returned home married. Uh, my wife is from Pakistan, and that's another story we might get a chance to to, uh, to cover. And I, I thought to myself, look, the Lord's given me this great opportunity to, to develop skill and understanding in this uh, medium of radio and the media generally. Let's, let's be honest about that because media is always changing in our world today. And what can I do? What else can be done to try and uh, increase and enhance our capacity to reach out through media? And I focused on radio at the time. So I got involved with a group called United Christian Broadcasters, and uh, they were involved in developing a low-powered Christian radio network in Australia, having already developed one in New Zealand uh, some, some years before. So they had come from New Zealand and basically decided to try and do something to expand their Christian ministry work here in Australia. So I was there quite early on with them. And I remained with them firstly as a volunteer doing news and, and announcing with them. Uh, and their head office was in, in Brisbane. So that was helpful. I lived nearby. Then, uh, they, uh, I went back to uni and did a bit of extra study. And after that, they decided to employ me as their news director, their first newscaster. So I started their United Christian Broadcasters news service. And in that, that, uh, employment in that work, I, I simply worked out that there was scope for um, for more impact to be had through uh, Christian broadcasting in Australia, and there wasn't really that much on offer beyond the low-powered, uh, narrowcast license format. Unless you had a bit more money, then you can get the higher-power licenses as well. And United Christian Broadcasters had had both. 
But uh, over time, I, I did not continue with my work at UCB. And uh, once that, uh, that parting took place, I started to look for opportunities to get low-powered licenses myself in my area. And um, sometimes people give up these low-powered licenses. They, they hold on to them for a year or a few years, and they stop using them, and they let them lapse. And that happens nearby where I lived. And so uh, some friends of mine from church applied for one, and we acquired it. And it just kept starting from there. I just kept going after places, uh, licenses and frequencies where there was a vacancy and uh, applied to them and, and was awarded them by the ACMA, the regulator here in Australia. And it, it just, just mushroomed from there and kind of snowballed and rolled along all across the country. I left where I was working and uh, not didn't leave physically. I stayed where I was uh, living, but I just took my vision to other parts of the country to see what was available. And my goal was to go where there were churches because my belief is that uh, an Elpon, a low-powered radio, works better if it's actually operating in an area where there is a church. Mm. If not at the church, then somewhere close by the church building. And so I went to South Australia, I went to New South Wales, even Western Australia, the other side of the country, compared to where I was at the time. I now live in WA. Uh, and, and I just got these radio licenses for various churches and, and I offered them to the church and mostly they, they bought them from me and, and developed them into viable low-powered stations for their area. Yeah, that's fantastic, Phil. Um, what a great ministry. And uh, you mentioned mostly mostly they bought them from you. Does that mean you ended up with a few that you still have yourself? I did. That's basically what happened, yes. I, uh, mo- uh, in, um, well, in WA that happened. I, I kind of had a slight uh, shift in my, my emphasis on selling licenses to churches when I got to Perth, and that was in the 2008-2009 period. And I th- said to myself, and maybe it was, it was God just telling me, Phil, look, you know, you can, you can hang on to these ones that you're getting here in Perth. I only had one at the time. And just, just keep it for yourself and, and get it operational mm. and, and run it the way you, you wanted to run it. And that was before Faith FM had come on the scene. It was about that time, actually, that I was invited to go and do a seminar on radio, um, project development for churches in Melbourne by the St. Alban Church pastor. And at that particular seminar at his church, um, some young people, younger than me, uh, turned up and were very keen in taking notes and making all sorts of uh, uh, comments and asking questions because they had a plan and obviously some support to develop a network. Um, to buy licenses on a larger scale than I had been able to do to date. And that was the actual beginning of Faith FM Network. Yeah, fantastic. So those young, those young guys who came to my seminar were, were doing their homework, I suppose you could say. And, and in a way getting a little bit of insight from my own experience. And, and applying it to their own situation. And they started getting licenses in Gippsland and, um, and from there, Faith FM grew quite rapidly. And the difference was belief and also funding support. Yes. Uh, I did most of my purchasing with my own funds, and I bought licenses, sold them to churches for a slight markup, and used the money I got to go and buy more licenses. So it was a, a rolling kind of uh, a strategy. But Faith FM, Michael and Christian were able to raise, you know, some real 
substantial amounts of money. And they had bought whole networks that were coming up for sale at that time in uh, Tasmania, in Victoria, in Adelaide. And, and that's how they, they got such a strong foundation. And I understand now that Faith FM is the second largest Christian radio network of its type, low powered network. In Australia. Yeah, so praise God. The only, large, the only larger one is my former employer, United Christian Broadcasters Australia. Yeah. And of course, they're, they're more than twice the size, but uh, they've been around a lot longer too. Sure, 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 yeah. Hey, uh, Phil, it's been great having you on the show today, and it's it's just inspiring to talk to somebody who's prepared to put their money where their mouth is, you know, when you see a, a need and, and an opportunity to just get out there and go for it and to take your skills and to apply it to spreading the gospel. Thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you very much, Lyle. That was Phil Smith from Western Australia, who uh, one of the founders of uh, low-powered um, networks, radio networks here in Australia, and uh, what part of the seed that really started uh, Faith FM. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment after this next song. Bible cracked and faded by the years Remember me In a sanctuary filled with silent Enough to teach, old enough to preach. 